This book right here caused me more trouble than anything I've ever received in the mail. This showed up in my doorstep one day from Amazon. I didn't order it. I didn't know who ordered it. And since it came from Amazon, the return address was Amazon. Normally, if you were to send something to me, it would have you as a return address. I'd say, oh, this came from that person. But it didn't. It just said, from Amazon to Brock. And I was like, hey, I don't even know I ordered anything. I opened the box, and inside was this book. Do you know what happens when you receive a book like this without knowing who it came from? You start to wonder, does somebody think I'm doing a really bad job? Did my wife order this for me? Well, maybe, maybe, it was, maybe it was the elders. They're like, suddenly we could just tell him, lead better. Might have been Holly. She'd have done that. <laughs> Turns out, took me two weeks to find out who it came from. Came from my discipler because he just thought it was a good book. And I was like, man, if you'd have just told me. I'd have known who the gift came from, and it would have made the gift make way more sense. As we jump into spiritual gifts, if we don't rightly understand the giver of those gifts, we cannot at all rightly understand what those gifts are or how to use them. So to start this series, we're going to look at the giver of gifts, who is the Holy Spirit. So we're going to go through some things, and this is going to be relatively quickly, and it's still going to take a while, because this is a small sampling of what the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. And I think we have that. If we get it up there, I will read it. So I don't have all these marked in my Bible. We can find it. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. There we go. He saved us not because of works done in us, by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit renews us. He regenerates us. The Holy Spirit also leads us. Romans 8, 14. Give me just a second. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For we are all led by the Spirit of God. For all of us who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He leads us. The next is out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. He unites us. We are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity. So the Holy Spirit regenerates us. He leads us. He unifies us. 
He produces fruit in us. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruits of the Spirit are, or the fruit of the Spirit is, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. He produces fruit in us. Sometimes, we don't see that fruit as readily as we would like. But what we can know scripturally is if we don't ever see any fruit, it's because the Spirit isn't in us. But when we do see fruit, it's because the Spirit is producing that in us. We don't produce that. And if ever we make the mistake of trying to, to make this assumption that we produce fruit to show it to other people, then we have totally missed the point. We should be living in the Spirit, following the lead of the Spirit as we're regenerated by the Spirit, and then He produces that fruit in us as other people would see it. Constantly taking the focus off of us and putting it onto Him He produces fruit. He also empowers us. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, what does that mean? How does that look? Well, it looked differently for them than it necessarily will for us. Different contexts, different purposes. Well, some anyway. Some of it will look very much the same. But the empowering in this case is to take the message of the gospel to those around us as witnesses. He empowers us. He transforms us. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Now, this verse, some of you would receive a gold star if you remember. We're going to read this, and then we'll see if anybody here receives a gold star. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So all of this transformation is coming from the Lord, in this case, specifically from the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, transforming us. Now, why would you receive a gold star? Because I have spoken on that passage before. Can you imagine when? September 12th, 11th, 2022, the weekend I candidated. I know that because it's marked in my Bible. I don't expect any of you to remember that. If you did, come tell me later and I will find a gold star for you. Do we have any gold stars? We don't have any gold stars. You will get a coffee bean. It's better than a gold star. He transforms us. 
It's his work. It's passive on our end. Not that there isn't effort that we put in, but the actual transforming comes by the Holy Spirit doing that, which is the same reason why he's the one who produces fruit. He transforms us, and in the transforming produces fruit. He convicts the world. John chapter 8, or John chapter 16, verse 8. John 16, 8. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, there's a lot we could get into there because, because there are ways in which that is, is potentially misunderstood. This is, this is a not a convicting this, the world of sin as though it's bringing us to redemption. This is a different aspect of that because it says, that as he convicts this, the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment, it says, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will no, see me no longer. And concerning judgment because the, rule, the ruler of this world is judged. This is a, an eschatological sort of event, which means end times, very end event. Not just the conviction that comes upon us as believers or as people who aren't believers to bring us to salvation, though he does that as well, right? He's the regener regenerator, and he's also the convictor in the sense that he brings us to a point where we recognize our need for him. Yet he is also the convictor of the world because he's the one who either is or is not in a person. And if he is not in a person, they are convicted in the final judgment because they don't have the Spirit of Christ residing in them, having sealed them for redemption. He sanctifies us. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. So the Holy Spirit regenerates us and leads us and unifies us and produces fruit in us. He empowers us. He transforms us. He convicts the world. He now sanctifies us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Peter writes this letter to the people the believers dispersed amongst the world. And he says he does it according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, or he is in according to God, the foreknowledge of God the Father. He's in the sanctification of the Spirit. That is what the Spirit does. I've said that word multiple times. Sanctification. He sanctifies us. What does that mean? It's a great word, but it's only a great word if we know what it means. If you don't know what the word means, it's just a nice sounding word or maybe a confusing sounding word, but it's of no real value to us. When it says that he sanctifies us, what it very primarily means is that he sets us apart. Apart from what? Apart from the world. Apart from the death that we used to have and used to be living in or, or trapped in, he sets us apart for him. Now that also means that he makes us holy in the sense that we are, we are no longer stained by sin totally. We're washed, cleansed by his blood through his spirit 
so that we would be men and women who could be justified before God. Next, we'll be going to Romans chapter 8, verse 9. So he regenerates us and leads us, unifies us, produces fruit in us, empowers us, transforms us, convicts us, sanctifies us. He now dwells in us. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So there's two types of people here. Anyone who does not have the Spirit does not belong to him. The two types of people are those who have the Spirit dwelling in them and those who don't. It's bifurcated to two branches, those with the Spirit and those without the Spirit. And if you, he says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you're no longer in the flesh. What does that mean? It means that you're no longer slaves to your flesh, to the worldly brokenness of you, not the skin and muscle and bones, but the broken sinfulness of yourself. You're no longer slaves to that. You're in the Spirit. Slaves to the Spirit. And I know we don't like saying that we're slaves, but that's what it says. Not in that verse, but in others. We are doulos, bondservants of Christ, slaves of Jesus. Because we're no longer in the flesh. We're not, we're not somehow still subservient to the brokenness that we have, though we give in to it. We're not required to, we're not forced to, we're not slaves of that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Somehow, all of those characteristics of God that we spent 16 weeks talking about resides inside us as followers of Jesus. That is an incredible reality. It's overwhelming to a point, but it is an incredible reality that the Spirit of God, all of His characteristic resides in each and every believer, because his spirit is there, and every attribute that he has, he has fully. And now we need to depend on that spirit to transform us, to produce fruit in us, to sanctify us, to do all of those things that he does because he resides inside of us. He also guides us, John chapter 16, verse 13. So we were in 16, 8 a moment ago. Now we're going to look at 12 and 13. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear, bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare the things that are to come. He will glorify me. Jesus says. Uh, when Jesus leaves, the spirit of truth, the one who guides his children into truth, will come. Now, that's a great theological debate, what exactly it means that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth, because there are many people who hold different theological perspectives. 
So what truth then is the Holy Spirit guiding us into if people come up with different or hold different or differing opinions? Do you know what one of those areas that people hold differing positions on is? Spiritual gifts. And you may differ with me, and that's okay, you can be wrong. I would love to have that conversation. I know that I am not totally right. I certainly think I'm mostly right, or I wouldn't think what I think, right? Right. But we need to have those conversations and engage with that and let the Spirit guide us as we, as we engage with that, as we seek to understand it. But that's not exactly what he's saying. I mean, the Spirit does guide us into those truths for sure. But this was written and spoken to the men who were going to be writing the scriptures. And the Spirit then comes and guides them into all truth. All truth doing what? Revealing the character of God. As much as he was intending to reveal to us, he revealed through his Spirit so that these men would write this down so that we, 2,000 years later, would have the scriptures to rely on and to guide us. He convicts the world. He sanctifies us. He dwells in us. He guides us. He seals us for redemption. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, and chapter 5, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 1, 22, and who has, and who has also put his seal on us giving us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. It says, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. So God has done something. He's established them in Christ and has anointed us and has put his seal on us given, and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Chapter 5, verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. A guarantee for what? For inheritance with Christ in eternity. That's what this Spirit is guaranteeing and sealing us for. That's why Timothy, or Paul writes to Timothy that even if we fail, God doesn't reject us. Why? Because he can't reject himself. Because he has sealed us. And him having sealed me as a follower of Christ, imperfect as I am, as he has sealed me, he can't reject me without rejecting the spirit that is sealing me and is in me. And that's himself. That's why Chris was talking about spiritual or uh, eternal rewards here recently. And he was talking about the fact that once the Spirit is in us, we are sealed for him forever. The Holy Spirit regenerates, leads, unites, produces fruit, empowers, transforms, convicts, sanctifies, dwells, guides, seals, and gives gifts to his children. 
So now that we've taken a moment to begin to understand that spirit, now let's look at the Holy Spirit in terms of the giving of gifts. Not just in terms of broad perspective, but, but let's focus in on the giving of gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 7 Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What is the manifestation of the Spirit? Verses 8 to 11 goes through different gifts that would encompass that. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It's really the second half of 3. It's really weird when uh, God inspired the Scriptures and then people put numbers in them to tell us where things were, and sometimes they do that really weird. So verse 3 starts in the middle of a question. So we're going to get to the end of the question and read his response to this question. His response is, It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So when we, when we take a look at the Holy Spirit in terms of his giving of gifts, there's two things going on here. We're going to focus on the second one and come back to the first one. But the two things that are going on here, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says it's for the common good. Hebrews chapter 2 says that he distributes them according to his will. Whose? His. So who gets the choice? He gets the choice. We're used to choices. We're used to having a pizza in front of us and choosing which piece of the pizza we want to eat. Uh, this isn't like that. This is the Holy Spirit saying, you get this piece. Somebody else gets this piece. Well, I want this piece. I want that piece. And he says, that's too bad. This is the peace I need you to have. Why? Why would he do this according to his will? Why would, why would he be the one to make this choice? Why don't we get to choose what our gift would be? The short answer? <clears throat> because we're inadequate to make that choice. Inadequate in the sense that we don't see a big enough picture we see only what we want to see, and we want ultimately ourselves to be the center of attention and honored and glorified. And he says, it's not about you, it's about me. It's about him. It has to be about him. And so he gives us gifts to bring him the most honor, to bring him the most glory. Now, also notice that in these passages, it talks about uh, the unity that's in this. It's the same Spirit, the same God, the same Lord, which is an interesting look at it. It's really a Trinitarian uh, event, speaking of the Spirit, the Lord, which is Christ, and then God, who is the Father. And now we come to the Hebrews passage again, and he's done this according to his will. Keep in mind that Ephesians 1, 11, 
says that God does everything according to the counsel of his will. So should it surprise us that the giving of gifts is also done according to the counsel of his will? No, it shouldn't. Because every single thing in the world, in the solar system, in the galaxy, in the universe, is done according to his will. So the giving of gifts has to fall within that. Our main set of passages for, for, this, for this series is going to be the Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8 passage, where it talks about the gifts that are there, the gifts of grace, it says. Uh, the gifts of grace. Did you catch that? Did you think about that? Does that, does that strike you in any way odd? Uh, we're saved by grace. We get that. But these are gifts of grace? Uh, let's explain that by using the definition of the term. These are gifts that you don't deserve, that you haven't earned, that should not be given to you. Okay, let's say that again. These are gifts that I do not deserve, that I have not earned, that I should not get. But God in his grace not only makes us saved, not only gives us life, also gives us gifts that we don't deserve so that we could be part of working in his kingdom in a way that we never otherwise could. And see, God gives us all sorts of gifts, natural gifts, Spiritual gifts. Which is more important? The answer is yes. Because the one who gave us the spiritual gifts gave us the natural gifts. The natural gifts should be used to bring him honor and glory. The spiritual gifts were given by him and should be used to bring him honor and glory. How do you know what your natural gifts are versus your spiritual gifts? you take a spiritual gift test? No. You know how I know the answer is no? You could grab any random person off the street who doesn't believe in Jesus at all and give them the spiritual gifts test and they could find out what their spiritual gift is, but they can't have a spiritual gift because they don't have the spirit. Ah, those are good starting points. I'm not totally ragging on them. They're valuable as a tool, but only as a tool. It ultimately comes down to this. Your natural gifts, when used properly, when exercised and developed, should yield the exact type of response and result that they should bring. When I played basketball, I shot free throws. My skill and my work put me at making a certain number of free throws out of 100. That's what I deserved. That's what I worked for. Spiritual gifts, however. Spiritual gifts we exercise and we use and we have this much proficiency in. And a spiritual gift, when used at this level of proficiency, somehow results in this level of effect. How? Because the Spirit is using it. An example in my life. I am not a good 
preacher. By natural gifting, I am not a good preacher. I used to have to give sermons in seminary, and they were, it's the right word, really horrible, terrible, bad. I couldn't have done much worse. It, they were pretty bad. Allison used to laugh at me. And then something happened. I kid you not, I got out of seminary, and I had to give a sermon at the church that we were at in Nebraska. And just like that, for no reason I can explain it, all fell together for me. I am not naturally good at this. I can teach people. I can do things. But putting a sermon together is different than putting a lesson together. It's different than teaching people information. And somehow it all just fits for me when I do it or, or when I started doing it in the, king, or in the church for the kingdom of God. But in seminary, trying to just learn tools, I couldn't do it for anything. I couldn't figure it out. It made no sense to me. But then God took my level of ability and he said, now we're going to make it have a greater effect than it should. Do I get credit for that? No. That's why in this Romans 6 passage, gifts are talked about right after he says, A, they're gifts of grace. B, it comes right after saying, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. You're going to get a gift. But don't think of yourself more highly than you should. You got a gift because you didn't deserve it. So don't look at God and say, why'd you give me the gift I didn't deserve? I don't want it. No, he gave you the gift that you didn't deserve because he chose to. Don't look at God and say, why'd you give me the gift? Or I'm glad I got the gift that I got because it makes me better than somebody else. No, it just puts you in a different role depending on the Holy Spirit in a different way. To utilize his gift for his purpose in his kingdom. It's not about us. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We must hold that tightly. We do not have the manifestation of the Spirit for our good or for another person's good, but for the common good. I was in a Facebook conversation with a friend from back in Iowa, and she was talking about how that phrase is used by certain organizations, governmental organizations, I can't tell you which ones, because I can't think of what they're called. And when they use that phrase, for the common good, they're using it in a totally different way. And she was saying, don't listen to anybody who uses that phrase. So I had to show her that verse that we're preaching on this morning where it says that we're to do this for the common good. How do we do that? Well, there's two elements to it. One element is this common good. Let's just take it in the family of Bethel, for example. We should each be using our gifts for the benefit of the rest of the group. That's an obvious, uh, it's intended to be an obvious starting point. It's not exactly an obvious starting point, but it's intended to be an obvious starting point that each of us use our gifts for the betterment of the whole group. But also, it's really cool to think about the giving of gifts that God does for the group. Because not only is he giving each individual piece gifts, he's also making it that 
way in this body of people. So he gives each of us gifts saying you are particularly important in the development of these people. So don't ever think that you're not important. Don't ever think that whatever gift you have isn't of as much value as other gifts because all of us need to be working together to do that. But also within the body of this people, he makes sure that all the gifts are covered. Uh, if you were to imagine pizza for just a minute, uh, sometimes we look at spiritual gifts and we think about them like pepperonis on a pizza, little isolated things that, that affect just the little area that they're in on the pizza. But it's really more like when God gives gifts to Bethel family, he gives it more like he's putting cheese on a pizza and he makes sure that the whole thing is covered. All of what we have is there. All of what we'd rather need is there. All of the gifts in this family of people are present. And when I talk to other pastors in other places, you find that, for the most part, all of the gifts are present in their family, their body as well. Does that mean that we'll all have the same equal amounts of those gifts? No. We won't all have the same equal amounts of those gifts. Some churches will be stronger in certain gifting areas, and other churches will be stronger in other gifting areas. But all of those gifts, if God is giving them for the common good of his people, he makes sure that all of the gifts that are needed in those areas are there. And then we utilize them. We work with them. We develop them to whatever level we can, and we trust Him to do that. We trust the Holy Spirit to be the regenerator. We trust Him to be the leader. We trust Him to be the uniter, the producer of fruit. We trust Him to be the empowerer, the transformer, the convictor, the sanctifier, the dweller, the guider, the sealer and the giver of gifts. When we see his rule, we recognize what he gives us, then we respond with that in the using of those gifts. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. What is our spiritual worship? Presenting all of who we are to him as a living sacrifice. Which looks like what? Well, it looks like verse 3, not looking more highly at yourself than you ought. It means, verses 6 to 8, using the gifts of grace that God has given to you for the betterment of his people so that you could be a spiritual worshiper of God. As we follow the Holy Spirit, the giver of gifts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your son. Thank you for allowing us to have the opportunity to have your spirit work in us. We pray, Father, that you would be honored not only in us, but in the use, our use of your gifts. That you would guide us and direct us on how to use them, that you would lead us in the moments that we do, that you would soften our hearts and transform us, that you would help us recognize the gifts that you've given and how we can use them, how we can see these gifts in other people, how you can be glorified through that process. We love you, Father. 
And it's in your holy, amazing, precious name we pray. Amen.